like the house I'm staying in, I ride the road that is out front less than a half mile and I can be on single track. Is it like this incredible backcountry experience? No, it's not. Is it good mountain bike trail? Yeah, it's good mountain bike trail. And having that at my disposal any day of the week is, is a huge thing. And that's, that's what, like the top thing that I would look for is good trail. It doesn't have to be great trail, but really good trail right out the door. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blom. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 136 features Philip Darden, the Executive Director for the Southern Off-Road Mountain Bike Association. Philip is newer in his role as the Executive Director for Sorba, but as you will learn, he's been around for quite a while and he's already making a big impact through his leadership within Sorba. Time has become an issue for me in terms of scheduling and recording with new guests. With that, the Trail Effect Podcast isn't going anywhere, but I will be taking a break for a couple weeks to get back on track with recording. The reality is that I was able to stay ahead of things for this long because I had pre-recorded a handful of shows back in May when I had a week off between jobs. This might mean that shows will come out when they are ready for releasing instead of on the weekly Tuesday release schedule. I may also drop a couple throwback episodes in as well to keep things going. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right, www.dojustsendit will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. A huge thank you goes out to the multiple people who have placed orders for Kettle Mountain Apparel and Trail One components. This support definitely does not go unnoticed. I hope you are all enjoying the products that have been ordered. When you use the links found under the affiliate section at the Trail Effect website, a portion of the proceeds will help fund the Trail Effect podcast. Bonus, use the code TRAILPOD when checking out for a 20% discount on all Kettle Mountain Apparel and Trail One components. Now on to the Trail Effect with Philip Darden. Here we are today on Trail Effect, and I have Philip Darden. Philip is the executive director for Sorba, the Southern Off-Road Bicycle Association, which was started in 1989, a year after IMBO was started. So it's uh, probably one of the longest-running mountain bike-specific organizations in maybe the world. Sorba has 47 chapters in seven states, which you know covers a good chunk of the southeast. It's pretty awesome that the southeast part of our nation has really embraced mountain biking for several reasons. One is because you have incredible topography in a lot of the places, but also you have incredible weather. Like you stay warm all winter, unlike where I live in Wisconsin. And so you can get, you know, riding in the winter where for us it's fat biking or nothing. How's it going today, Philip? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Oh, of course. You're probably one of the most requested uh, guests to have on the Trail Effect podcast and for good reason. I, I mean, I hope so that there's a good reason behind it. I'm just, like I said, I'm happy to be here and you know, excited that people want to share what we're doing at Sorba. I think it's, 
I think it's great and our organization's in a good spot. And I think that we're only going to go up from here. So stoked to be able to share it. One of the things I want to get into quickly before we go into your backstory is, you know, you look around the Sorber website and if you're like me, you quickly realize how organized your organization is. There's a document for damn near everything from your operations manual to how to properly host a tailgate safety meeting. I'm assuming you have a lot to do with that. Like let's, let's dive into, you know, the organization itself and why you've taken it upon yourself and the other staff that you have to really be focused on being organized like that and offer those documents. Cause they're a great resource. Truth be told, I didn't set up a lot of that. I came into a really well-functioning organization, which is awesome. You know, we had great leadership prior to me and I came in with, with a, with a group that was, we were doing a good job and we could just do more. So I could just add on top of what we were already doing. So that all those documents that were there on the website, most of them were there. Uh, over the time that I've been with Sorber, we've updated them a little bit, but really I'm just very fortunate to have come into a group and, and take lead of an, on an organization that's effective and organized from the get-go. Let's also get into kind of the difference between Sorba and Imba, even though you guys are pretty tightly tied together, I believe. Yeah. Well, and at one point in time, Sorba was a part of Emba. So back when Emba had their chapter program, Sorba was, was, a, was an official region of, of Emba, but we also still maintained our own 501c3. So we, we participate in the Emba local program. Uh, Anthony Duncan over there, he's a freaking rock star. He's also a Sorba member, lives over in Johnson City. So he's not far from where I am currently. And yeah, they're, they're a great resource. And even, even since taking over as executive director, we've extended that relationship. Emba just had their, one of their annual board meetings over in Asheville, North Carolina, and I was part of it. And, you know, we worked together to, to get some of the local groups there to, to showcase some of the trail advocacy that they're doing and, you know, be a proper Southern host, show them a good time, show them around the trails, have them feel welcome and, and send them home thinking that we did the best job that we could. Well, let's get into your backstory and kind of what led you to mountain biking and then ultimately into a, a career directly in the center of advocacy and, and getting more trails on the ground. Yeah, it's, I grew up in the Atlanta area in the nineties and my first real mountain bike was a, a Trek 800. Uh, my cousin who's older than I am, he had a Trek 820 hanging on his wall every time I went to his house. And I was like, man, that thing is so cool. Just Absolutely the coolest. So sometime like 13, 14, my mom and dad took me to a bike shop and I got a, a full steel rigid Trek 800 and, you know, started ripping the, the trails that we had in the back of my neighborhood. Uh, you know, Atlanta at that time was just growing leaps and bounds. And so we were, we had a neighborhood that was, you know, being developed, but there was also still some pockets of woods and you know, we had five, six boys just going out and doing what boys do out in the woods, making trails and forts. And so that was really how I started mountain biking. And then when I got a driver's license, uh, me and a buddy, we started exploring some of the other trails in Gwinnett County uh, and also down to Conyers Horse Park right after the Olympics were done. We would go and ride the Olympics course. And cycling from then on just kind of stayed in my life. I used it as a means of transportation in college when I was in school at Auburn, started mountain biking there. And that led to racing, uh, started out road racing 
with, uh, with the college team there at Auburn and then led to mountain bike racing. And I got burned out. I really like just got sick and tired of the training, counting watts, counting calories, doing all that nonsense and sat back. And it was like, it was the perfect timing because we started building some trail for my local Sorba chapter camp, Central Alabama Mountain Peddler. We hadn't even formed as an organization at that point, but we got an opportunity to start building trail at Chihuahua State Park. And I was like, you know, that sounds like a good idea. My friend drug me out to a work day and I was hooked. When we started forming the organization, we met as a group and everybody was like, hey, who wants to be vice president? And I raised my hand because I was like, well, that sounds like an important job, but not the most important job. So (laughs) I can just kind of, I can lean in and do that. And that sounds like a good idea. And I turned out to be president a couple years later, had that position for six years, was on the Sorba board for a little while, managed a bike shop. When Terry, the previous executive director, had uh, her associate director position, uh, I actually applied for it then and they told me that I needed to get more experience. So I got more experience and the position became available in uh, late 2020. I was working at a bike shop and, you know, bike shops during COVID were an interesting beast and I went from being able to tell everybody, yeah, for sure, I can do that, to no, I can't do that, sorry, I can't do that. And it just was so draining mentally. And I knew that my passion was, was more about building communities and, and getting people on bikes rather than just selling bikes and slinging product. So the job came up again. I applied and started as the Associate Director of Sorba in January of 2021. And here we are. And here we are, executive director two years later. I didn't expect it to go that fast, but I'm up for the challenge. Yeah, so you're still there. You know, with your role as, as the executive director, what are some of the things that you found helpful that you've been able to pull from other aspects of your life that help you in your role currently? It's, it's really funny. And I didn't fully realize it, but my degree is in graphic design. So I'm a, I'm a visual artist from just training-wise. And my senior project for uh, graphic design was I built a, I, I made up a fictitious bike shop that was in Atlanta. It was catered around commuting, but the concept of it was really more about making this community space for riders to go. Like it would be a locker room and a coffee shop and a bar and just like providing a space for people that were like-minded to just hang out and get to know each other and build a community. and. Really, that's what trail advocacy is. Like it's it's about building a community of people. And it took me a little while to realize that that's exactly what I want to do. And why I love being the executive director of Sorba is that I can be a part of a huge amount of communities. You know, we have 47 chapters across the southeast. So I can I can affect and help build these communities all over the south. And that is just like the most exciting thing for me. Uh, share your passion about bikes, share your passion about outdoors and build groups of people. This stuff doesn't really happen without communities, right? And mountain biking doesn't happen without the actual access to where to go. So that's super important. Yeah. And, a, you know, a trail is a trail is a place like it's the, it doesn't it doesn't become a thing until somebody out there is using it. It's just it is it's something. But it becomes alive when people get out there and use the trail. And I, I think that that's a lot of our organizations kind of 
they get lost in the weeds a little bit with the trail maintenance, but it's also about using it and exploring it and, and riding the trail that you build. That's all part of it. Yeah, for sure. And you had to bring out the M word. We're not going to go there yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of M words though, I'm going to bring out another M word and that's Matthew Kellogg. Yeah. I've become friends with Matthew Kellogg. I've been able to, I've been fortunate to be able to stay at his place and really get a good local exploration of Knoxville and the greater Knoxville area from, you know, from down south of Knoxville to the V hollow area, one of the newer riding areas down there, right against the Smoky Mountains up to like the Windrock area. And we've stayed in touch and ran into each other at various different, different summits and whatnot. But one of the things that I, I reached out to him specifically, knowing that he's tied in pretty tight with Sorba. And he said that the most recent summit that Sorba held, which it sounds like you guys held those twice a year or hold them twice a year. He said that you absolutely knocked it out of the park. And I'm, ass- I mean, so I'm assuming that being relative that they're already really incredible, right? And so we're building on what was already really incredible. Let's talk about that latest summit. And more generally speaking, why Sorba continues to put these summits on and where you, and where you find value in those. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully Matthew's listening because that's really awesome of him to say that. He is, he's an influence in, in what I do too. Uh, what AMBC does with their local organization is, is really a model for to be replicated across the country. If you've never been to Knoxville, like that's where I am currently. I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee right now. I live in Auburn, Alabama, but I had the opportunity to spend the summer here. And I'm here for the summer because of the trails and because of the people that are here. But yeah, if you've never had the opportunity to come and experience the, the trails and the community that's here in Knoxville, you're missing out and you really need to get a trip to this area. Uh, if I'm still here, I'd be more than happy to show you around. But Kellogg does a great job of showcasing what the chapter does and, and just how great the opportunities are here. But the summit, yeah, it, the summit has been around since I've been a part of Sorba. Uh, it was one of the things that I looked forward to going to. In addition, you know, I don't know if you ever went to one of the Embo World Summits, but it's a great time and it's a good opportunity to learn. And that's where I want to have the Sorba Summit kind of, maybe not necessarily to the full extent of what an Embo Summit is, but pretty darn close. And this last go was my first that I put on as executive director and I wanted to set a precedence. It was really grateful that we partnered with Old Fort and uh, the G5 Collective, who isn't a Sorba chapter. That area is covered under the Northwest North Carolina Mountain Bike Alliance. They helped us out with the organ with the summit as well. But in that Old Fort area, you have McDowell Tech that's creating a, a, a trail program that's a trail building and trail maintenance uh, certificate that you can get through the local community college. Uh, you have Camp Greer that's putting on a lot on a lot of mountain biking specific activities both through their camp and through the production companies that they have. They're huge on the trails in the area. You have a community in the community economic development department that understands the value of trails and and how that can bring businesses to the area. So really I hopped in and, and said, hey, we want to do this. Let's make this good. And everybody on the team just kind of hopped in and said, yeah, I'm on board. So McDowell Tech did a great job of putting together some educational opportunities, like training opportunities. And they provided space for us to have our conference style events. Uh, the camp hosted us so everybody could stay for free at Camp Greer. Yeah, it just 
it was it was the right location to go on ahead and set that precedence, I think is the best way to put it. Because there are a lot of hands on deck and a lot of help to make it really great. And that's that's how I want to move forward with it. We're going to do a big one once a year, and the fall is going to be on the smaller end. And we'll we'll try to tie it with some sort of festival that goes on in the southeast. You know, post-pandemic, a lot of these chapters are are, are looking at creating festivals, which is awesome. And if we can just piggyback on it and have uh, a few educational opportunities, take care of our board meeting, but really give them an opportunity to to have fun and, and ride and enjoy an area and be a part of a festival, that's the goal with that. Yeah, the summit's going to be our baby. That's that's where we're going to teach people. Uh, we're going to inspire people. We're going to get people really excited about getting out in their community. You know, what's interesting is the irony that comes with some of these podcasts, because there's only one person that really knows what I'm about to say next, because he was the guest and I haven't, I haven't released his shows yet, but they're going to be coming out after we were, after this recording is done, but before this show comes out, which is Christian Jackson, who's from Boone and pretty heavily involved with, with that whole region. So that the fact that you just brought all that up is it continues to highlight how much of a powerhouse the Southeast really is. You know, if you think about Sorba in general, we go from our furthest south chapters in Fort Myers, Florida, uh, all the way up to probably Greensboro, North Carolina is going to be the furthest north. And the variety of terrain and soil types and people and everything that goes into what Sorba consists of, it's ridiculous. You know, I kind of envy some of these smaller uh, state-led organizations like you had Nick from Vimba on and, and Vermont's pretty small and it's largely the same across the way where we're not, we're just, we're very different and geography, people, everything. It's, it's a, it's exciting, but it's also a really incredible challenge. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting. I've had Michael Anzalone on too, who is the executive director for, for the California mountain bike association. And he's from Georgia originally. I didn't know that. He wasn't a mountain biker when he was there. It just, it just kind of, it was, it just kind of what he got into, you know, after moving west. That's cool. But yeah, more specifically on the Sorba, on the Sorba summit, what kind of training opportunities or what, what were some of the topics for some of the stuff you did at this most recent one? So the, the main summit consisted of conference style events. So we talked about Everything from develop, developing an RFP, so you know, creating documents that you're going to send out for bid, uh, and hiring a good trail builder, to building a diverse rider group, uh, which we had a panel discussion of a number of organizations that that lead rides in the Tennessee, Western North Carolina area, with an emphasis on on diversity and you know, everybody that is in the the mountain bike advocacy world knows that we're primarily people that look like you and me, like 40s white male. That's that's our that's our demographic. And you know, we be, need to be better about expanding that. Keep the demographic that we have, but also be inclusive and bring people in that don't look like us and and you know, see the power in that. And outside of the conference style sessions, we partnered with McDowell Tech. And we had two chainsaw certification courses that were U.S. Forest Service, uh, Sawyer B. We had two trail crew leader courses and one bridge building class. 
out of that, we had 70 something people receive some form of certification. Close to 30 new Sawyers for uh, the Southeast, which that alone is huge. You know, being able to, to get out of National Forest and clear trail after storm damage is, is a big deal. And that's what, that's what our, our summits are going to provide. We're going to have those in addition to the conference because that training, be it how to lead uh, volunteers to, to actual physical things like cutting trees is incredibly important to maintaining the trails in the communities that we have. It sounds to me like it's almost a, a regional version of a PTBA conference. Yeah, you know, we do parallel a little bit with the PTBA conferences as well. And I, I think that more opportunities that we have of things like that is is better. Like rising tides always float more boats. So yeah, like I'm happy that the PTBA has the International Trails Conference, which is they're doing that every two years, right? Yeah, so there's the there's the regular PTBA conferences that are annually, but now every other year they're going to do the International Trail Summit with American Trails. So they just had that in Reno, and then in 2025 it's going to be actually up in Madison, Wisconsin. But they just announced this week that their regular their regular PTBA conference is going to be in Georgia in 2024. Yeah, I, I got an email about that today. Actually, that's that's exciting. Like we're I. I it's the first I had heard about it, and I'm like already trying to scheme as to how Sorba can be involved with it in some form or fashion. And Lake Lanier is, you know, that's 20 minutes from where I grew up, so that's I'm pretty familiar with that. My mom and dad still live there, so I'm pretty familiar with the area. But yeah, stoked to see it. One of the other things that Kellogg brought to my attention, and then you did also in an email, um, is the fact that you recently went through a strategic plan and then updating the mission and vision. Let's go into the process behind that. And then maybe what the driving force was for updating that. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but when I became associate director and working with Terry Palmieri, I spent the first year and a half, two years, just kind of doing my job, sitting back, taking account of what we're doing, trying to figure out who Sorba is, what we can do better. And when she said that she was going to retire, I thought that it was a great opportunity for us to to get together as a board and to get to get uh, bring in some additional people throughout the region that would be, you know, good value adds to the strategic planning process. And we moved forward with it. She agreed that uh, it would be a good plan. We hired a facilitator, so we all met in Anniston, Alabama, with a facilitator from the community center there, who did frankly, a bang up job. I was so excited and impressed with, with how she led the, the strategy session, the follow-ups, what we got out of it. And it was really great because we also had just done elections. So we had some new board members on the executive committee and we had new blood. Uh, we had old blood and we had the potential to, to assess where we are and to make a, a direction change. I think that at the core, we didn't change that much. We, were, we have been and always will be an educational resource. But I, I, my goal was to get a little bit of more direction and specifics out of it. Terry and I would, would end up doing largely the same job. And not to say that that's a bad thing, but I felt like we could be a little bit more efficient if some of the job titles and duties were a little bit more delineated as far as what we could do and focus on. So my role as executive director was going to stay, but we decided to, 
instead of hire an associate director like we have done in the past to pursue a development director. Because what that would do is it would open up the the means of of hiring and expanding what we're wanting to do with the rest of the strategic plan and those educational opportunities. And you know the the mission and vision statement were were something that was on the table, and you know I had no thoughts of us actually changing that when we went into the uh, when we went into the session. Uh, she just the facilitator brought it up and she said, is this something that y'all would be willing to reconsider? And everybody agreed, yeah, let's do it. So we had a half day session of, of coming up with the strategic or sorry, with the, uh, with the new mission and vision statement. And man, it's just, it's so good. The previous one, I, I can't even really remember it, but it was something about, you know, protecting great places to ride, but it was long and drawn out. And our new mission statement is so easy. And you like the facilitator again, she was she really emphasized putting power to it and, and the the starting out of we believe, you know, that's already like, all right, this is something that we're into. But you know, we believe everyone should have access to the social, physical, and mental benefits that mountain biking provides. It's easy to remember and it says everything that you needed to say in in one sentence. And like I love it. And it even it's even since we we came into it has expanded on on what we thought it was going to say or at least my initial thought process on what it was going to say and you know it it talks about diversity and it talks about what diversity is like i've even had people pose a question is diversity e-mountain bikes is it adaptive bikes is it getting people of color on bikes you know it, and it's all those things it's it's so encompassing in a very short and tight uh, sentence that I couldn't be prouder of it. And the vision statement is it's a little bit longer, but it is also what we what we look like we're going to do and, and what we're moving towards. And that we envision a future where mountain biking is at the center of healthy, economically vibrant and environmentally sustainably sustainable communities throughout the southeast with well-planned, accessible and progressive trail systems. And I think the biggest thing that is there is yeah we talk about sustainable but we don't imply sanitize i think we actually imply different with the with the concept of progression you know and that's a huge thing that i think any sort of mountain bike organization and advocacy organization is fighting right now is you have the desires of a large amount of the population of mountain bikers want to do these different styles of riding and we don't have the people don't see mountain bike advocacy organizations as being able to provide that. They think that we're there to dumb down the trails. They think that we're there to, you know, make things worse. And, and for lack of a better word, uh, Imba a trail and, and make a sidewalk in the woods. And there's a place for that. And you should always have a, a an easy, welcoming beginner trail in any sort of trail network, but there's also a place for jump lines. There's also a place for, you know, technical trail features. And as long as they're done right and done professionally, I, it, there's a, there's a place for it. And we're, we're there to help provide that. Yeah. That's, you know, going back to the word diversity, like the most successful trail systems offer that diverse experience, both in the users, but also in the experience itself, you know, in terms of like what you just said, you know, you might, it might include a sidewalk through the woods. 
because that might be it for a person that just is maybe on a hybrid bike or a, a kid on a, you know, 14 inch pedal bike, you know, and at the same time, you might have somebody sending it down a, a rock armored fall line technical trail. Yeah. And I threw rock armored in there so it stays sustainable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even so here in the Southeast, we've had a ton of pay to play bike parks that have popped up. And I like, that's great. Like, if they can stay uh, afloat and, and make money and provide that opportunity, I think that's great for our organizations because they no longer really have to, to provide these really heavy maintenance trail features uh, if they don't want to. I mean, they, if like here at Baker Creek, you know, they have you know, full on jump lines in a community park and it's maintained by the local chapter. They have professional maintenance that also comes in. But if your community doesn't have the ability to support that, but there's a local bike park down the street, go use the bike park. That's great. Yeah, I, man, I love getting into the play, pay to play side of things for that for that very reason. And I've been to a couple of the two specifically pay to play bike parks in the southeast, both Rad Canuga and then last about a year, little over a year ago, I was at Jared's place. Not long after it opened, and I think they offer an avenue that is so vital. And I call the, I mean, I call a bike park a community. It's a bike community. It's a, it's, it's an, it's another form of a bike community. Yeah. Well, in Jared's place specifically, they're a huge supporter of Rambo, one of our local Atlanta chapters. So it kind of goes both ways. You know, they, they have their bike park and it's a great, super fun place to ride, but they also support trail advocacy in a community. So like, that's a win-win in my book. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Going back on the, uh, on the actual process of this, of your strategic plan, I want to ask about the value you found in hiring a facilitator. Cause that's something I don't know if everybody thinks of, but is truly vital. And a lot of organizations do over time have to, you know, revamp their, their mission and vision, just like Sorba did. Yeah. So I did some research because initially I was planning on leading it. And then one of our board members said, Hey, why don't we look into hiring a facilitator to do this? And I said, sure. Okay. I'd let, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, less work on my end. And I, I, I can be that I don't have to be this neutral body that's, that's leading a meeting. Somebody else can be this neutral body that does it. And I can actually share my opinions and thoughts about what we should do. So the board member that brought it up, he's a Aniston native uh, and had worked with uh, the lady that facilitated us there and suggested her. And it was worth every single dollar that we paid. And probably we got a good deal out of it, if I'm going to be real. Because you take something that is incredibly important, like it's a guiding light for your organization for whatever time period you put it to. And you let professionals be professionals and do the things that they are paid to do, you know? And that is like, that is so worth the value instead of fumbling through it and then not necessarily coming up with an outcome. And then you make this strategic plan that really just gets put on a shelf. You know, because it's really at the end of the day, you're not happy with the product. You're not happy with exactly what was the outcome. You didn't feel like everybody was engaged and active with it, whatever. But yeah, if if your organization, I don't care if it's a mountain bike group or if it's a business, if you're looking at doing a strategic plan, hire somebody to to help you out with it. Yeah. And one of the things I just I just heard, you may not have intended to say it, but this is kind of what what the translation for me was that. You brought someone in that I would say probably has no biases towards the or, towards any aspect of the organization. Where if it was you or another leader within the organization, 
you know, they're going to have just natural biases towards whatever it is they want to see change. And so there's probably going to be more focus on that because that's the person leading it, whoever that would have been. And so bring someone in from the outside, it, it lets that, that new lens maybe is the right answer, right, the right way of saying this, guide your new mission and vision. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it takes, it would take whoever's leading the, the, the conversation. It takes their biases and their, you know, even if it's, even if they're trying to be as neutral as possible, they're still going to indirectly guide the, the conversation to what they feel like. So it totally removes that. And I, yeah, I think that that was probably the most important part of the entire process. She had a set like standard, these are the steps that we're going to go through through the day, but was also this neutral body that would pose questions and say, why do you think about it that way? What is, what is the purpose behind this? Why do you do it that way? And just almost devil's advocate, but she was, she was guiding and leading you to answers that you probably wouldn't have come up with otherwise. For sure. One of the things that I really appreciate about Sorba and I'm going to, I got to preface this with, you know, different organizations transition into different versions of their organization as time goes on for whatever their local reasons are. But one of the things I really like about Sorba is that you guys have stayed true to like being a mountain bike specific organization. I'm going to say I'm a mountain biker through and through because that was really my first and, and best avenue of getting into the woods years and years and years ago. I really like to see that you've, you've purposely put mountain bike and have stayed true to mountain bike in your, both your mission statement and your vision statement. Was yeah. there any talk of being an all encompassing organization? Cause I do, I just to preface that, I do think that some communities almost have to transition to that based on how the dynamic is. But Sorba is really, I mean, it's community based, but it's also like seven state based. You know, there was some conversation behind that, but there was a really strong, there was a really strong opinion that we should be, uh, that we should include the word mountain bike rather than multi-purpose, rather than, you know, just trails. Like, cause at the end of the day, we're the Southern off-road bicycle association. Like we're not the Southern off-road trail association. We're not, you know, the hiking association. We're, we're an off-road bike association. We're a mountain bike group. We're here to support mountain bikers. And, you know, I, I think for a long time, mountain biking uh, organizations in particular were, were fighting for just getting on trail. And the state of mountain biking now is that we have pretty good access. So it's more about the person and the people that are riding bikes and the community behind the bikes themselves than fighting and vying for access. We always want more trail. There always is a desire to, to uh, build more and uh, to have more access. But really, I think right now, at least our focus with Sorba is the communities of riders and supporting the people that ride mountain bikes. And, you know, a, a trail is a trail until a mountain biker is on it. And then it's a mountain bike trail. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it, you can't, you can't build a trail and just have it in a place and say it's a mountain bike trail until somebody mountain bikes on it. I, I think a lot of people lose that fact. Like we're, we're mountain bikers. Like let's do it. Let's go ride bikes in the woods and be happy about it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's super important just to stay true to your roots, you know, and, and you're right. Like the access thing isn't, well, there's, you know, obviously I think access will be for, and for any, any user group, I don't want to just say mountain biking, but access will always be something that we'll have to keep in focus, you know, 
but it's not what it was, you know, back in the nineties and two thousands. I love to see the words mountain bike put together. <laughs> and so I'm really, I'm just really happy that that's, you know, it's, uh, you guys have, have stayed with that. And at the same time, like I would say, and maybe, maybe this is one of my biases. I would say mountain biking specifically has been a very open type of activity to other users as well. You know, we had to, you know, we kind of were the new kid on the block years ago. And so we had to be inclusive, you know, to, to get included, (laughs) you know, but at the same time, it's one of the few activities that you can get such a diverse group of people together, you know, and, and all have that same common thread. And I think we see that, especially now with mountain biking. And so I'm really proud of mountain biking as a, as an activity for that. Yeah. And, you know, the vast majority of trail that Sorba chapters take care of, I'd say probably 90% of them are probably even more than that are, are multi-use trail. It's not like we're, we're out there only doing mountain bike stuff. Like we are, we're providing opportunities for the rest of the community to, to get out in the woods as well. They just happen to be mountain bike trails and they happen to be mountain bike trails because we're the ones that are out there that are, you know, building, maintaining and, and keeping these things up so that everybody can enjoy them. Yeah, for sure. Let's pivot to Sorba as far as like the fact that you guys, you talked about it earlier, but you just hired the development director. You know, what was the process and thought that went into that? You kind of alluded to it a little bit, but let's dive into that a little bit more because you're. I've seen... And I don't look everywhere, but I've seen at least two or three development director positions posted and hired for in the last even six months or less across the country. Yeah. It, so that came out of our strategic planning session. And one of the main reasons behind it is that we needed to diversify how Sorba's funded. The vast majority of our funding comes from membership dollars, and, and we need to make that different. We also needed to increase the amount of money that, that Sorba has to function. You know, we were we were fortunate for a long time that we could operate pretty thinly and provide some of the uh, amenities that we provide. But those things are changing, and if we want to, if we want to bring in quality employees and, and quality people on staff with Sorb and provide quality events, all that stuff costs money, and a development director is is a big part of that. My personality is not the fundraising person. Um, I like, I'm happy to go into a room and talk to people, but at the end of the day, if they come out as my friend, like that's, that's all I want. That's a win for me. And asking somebody for money just feels like, so I just, I just can't appreciate the drive to ask for money. And I know, like I've told myself a hundred times, like these people want to give, you just got to ask for it, but it's not, that's just not my nature. That's not who I am. And that's not how I do. So hiring a development director was a big part of that. And they could focus solely on raising money so that we could continue to move through the action items on our strategic plan to grow Sorba to provide additional opportunities. One of the new people on our board, uh, his name is Dan. He's our new treasurer, but professionally, he is uh, he, he works in recruiting and, and hiring for small businesses. Him and a couple other board members were highly involved with the hiring process, and they did such a great job of assessing the people that we had apply. We had over 30-something people apply for this position, and the assessments were personality tests and, again, things that I would have never considered 
going into the job searching process, but was open to it and, and welcome to the ideas. And, you know, we hired Jen a little bit more than a month ago and she's dynamite. Like she comes to the table with a lot of uh, development experience but has also never been a board member or really active uh, on the mountain bike advocacy side of things. She's been a mountain biker since 2012 and has been a member of her local organization, but it's never held a board position, only gone and done a few volunteer days. So the other great thing about hiring her is she comes in with a lot of fresh ideas and a lot of like with a new lens and you know, that's only going to last for so long. So every time she brings up a new comment, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Why haven't we thought about it that way? And like, really take note and take to heart all the things that she questions about, because that new lens will get faded soon. And she'll just be, she'll be acclimated to the job. And you only have that newness for like two or three months. But yeah, like she jumps in and has been in contact with our, with our current sponsorship, uh, is researching grants, is, um, you know, being in contact with, with chapter leaders from across the Southeast, putting together programs for funding for our organization so that we can also, as we're learning how to raise money, we can also share that knowledge with our chapters and with our organizations across the Southeast. And yeah, we definitely scored on the, on the hire with her. Like, the process that we did and, and the people that we had apply for it. And then the outcome of hiring Jen was just as dynamite. I'm so excited about where we're going every single week. That's awesome. That's it. I mean, 30 people is a pretty deep talent pool. I mean, that's to, to pick from. And it's, it's interesting that you, you talked about your, your treasurer, Dan being in the HR side of things. That's what my girlfriend is, is an HR business, a small business owner. And she gave me a personality test. <laughs> like before we really started dating, I was like, this is so weird, but it actually kind of makes sense. <laughs> Dude, with, with the whole process of w- what we went through, I was like, should I get you guys to just, you know, go through anybody that I might start dating and, <laughs> and have them go through this process too? Because it really is a compatibility test. It's like, it, will you work together and will you, will you be functional as a, as two people being able to make decisions and, yeah, that's, that's a relationship right there, you know, regardless of if it's romantic or not, like that's a relationship. Oh, for sure. I've learned so much from her, from a biz- from the business side of things. Like most of our conversations, especially at like dinner and that are strangely enough business. Well, it's now mountain biking too, because she's become a mountain biker, but, but it's a lot of a business side of things. Cause I have a, a real interest in that and you know, how we can do better in, in, in our world of trails. One of the things, and I've got a note that stays on my computer all the time is how can we be more professional? And I was having a conversation with Kent McNeil, the, the CEO of Emba a couple of days ago, and he has the same thing, but it also expands it into, we don't have to be corporate, but how can we be more professional? And there's a, there's a distinct separation between those two things. We can still have the personality and the drive of, of a mountain biking community, but be professional in the way that we go about business. Um, and, and increasing that professionalism, I think, is a huge goal just personally of mine. Yeah, and that's something you're starting to see a lot more in the, in the trail industry in general, which is a, a welcome thing. And I know there's been a little bit of pushback on it, but the reality is, is that 
you know, we're, we're now putting trails or getting opportunities to put trails into places that are public places. And we work with, we have to work with other professional entities such as, you know, local government bodies, whatever, whatever the entity is that is providing that access. And they work outside of, they work with other organizations, you know, say you're going to put a park structure in a play structure, like there's professional people that do that. And so we need to be professional just like they are. Yeah. hundred percent. And, you know, be punctual, be on time, have the documents that you need ahead of time, be able to, to, to speak to the things that you want to do in a, in a professional manner and, you know, be able to type up an email so that <laughs> it's, it, it has correct pu- uh, punctuation, grammar, you know, it just the small things, they add up and it, it's being able to teach that and to just embody that as, as an organization so that other chapters will try to emulate what we do at Sorbo. Speaking of being professional, you have a third staff member, an operations manager. What is that role like? So that's, uh, that's handled by Casey. She's a, a contract employee for Sorba. And she does a lot of the, the payroll stuff for us. Uh, she helps us with budgets. She's, a, she's an accountant, um, also a professional mountain bike racer. And so she uses the Sorba gig as, as part, of the, part of the work that she does. Like right now, she's out in Oregon doing a, a gravel stage race in Oregon. Lives here in Knoxville. So she's, you know, two miles here from where I'm staying in Knoxville. Um, but yeah, like she's also a great asset being a professional mountain biker to have conversations with about, you know, she's helped with um, some of the development work that we've done. Like she's brought some of her sponsors on board with Sorba and vice versa. And, you know, again, that's, that's not my strong suit. Like I can talk about what we need to do but developing a budget and being able to stay within the ditches on the budget is, <laughs> is, is not necessarily my strength and it, being able to have somebody that that is their strength and, and can say, Hey, Philip, you need to go do this, or you need to stop spending this much money on this and, and make sure that we're, we're functioning as an organization and being uh, responsible with the money that we have is, is huge. So, yeah. I, I like to hire people that are, I don't do things well. <laughs> That's, I want to highlight my strengths and bring in people that will embrace my weaknesses. Yeah, as, as we all should take note from. Yeah, 100%. Well, pivoting back to you on a more personal level, you know, you've already said you're in Knoxville, which is an incredible trail mountain bike community. You know, I, I kind of phrase this question a couple different ways, but say you had to move, we'll just say you had to move from, from the Southeast to some other place in the world for whatever reason, what would be some things you would look for, some ingredients you'd look for in a new mountain big community that would stick out as kind of must-haves or maybe trending that direction for you? Yeah, this is a great question because, you know, one of the reasons why I am here in Knoxville this summer is it's, it's more or less like a test drive to see if it were, would be a place that I would want to make a more long-term move to. And I've done a lot of thought about what... I, I have the benefit of of working remotely. And so as long as I'm within the the region in the Southeast, I can really be anywhere and work from anywhere. So I, I sat down and, and thought about what are the things that I would want to move to. And it's, I relate it to a car. Like what's your daily driver? Something that's reliable, something that's decently fun, probably has a good stereo, comfortable, and that you're 
you're not dreading to go drive every day. It might not be the most exciting, but it's there and available every single day and is totally reliable to, to, to do what you need it to do. And so a community like Knoxville that has trails all throughout South Knox, where like the house I'm staying in, I ride the road that is out front less than a half mile and I can be on single track. Is it like this incredible backcountry experience? No, it's not. Is it good mountain bike trail? Yeah, it's good mountain bike trail. And having that at my disposal any day of the week is, is a huge thing. And that's, that's what, like the top thing that I would look for um, is good trail. It doesn't have to be great trail, but really good trail right out the door. And then secondary is what's within a two-hour radius. So two hours is what I consider what you could do on a day trip. So what can be done in a day? It might be a long day because you're driving four hours and then you go for a long ride. But what is in within that two-hour window? And again, a place like here, you've got Brevard and Asheville two hours away. You've got Johnson City. That's an hour and a half. You've got Chattanooga. That's an hour and a half. Uh, you've got North Georgia. That's roughly two hours away. So there's a lot of really incredible, excellent backcountry experiences and, and, you know, really good mountain bike trail within a two hour radius of here. And I mean, I even went to Morris Dam this past weekend for the first time, and that was a great trail experience. It's having that daily driver ride and then also having access to good trail that's within that two hour radius. So those are the two things. And then the third, which is a nice to have, but if a, if a place has it, uh, a really great mountain bike community, a, a great group of people that are welcoming, um, that want you to be there, uh, that love to share their trails, which that's a lot about a lot of mountain bike communities, but having a, a strong community that's, that's actively engaged and, and wants to, wants to share that stoke that they have with their trails with you. Like that's, those are the three things. And Knoxville has it. And, and I can say the same for a number of our uh, locations in Sorba, but, you know, Knoxville is definitely one of my top picks for that. Yeah, I've, I, I don't know if people will really understand this comparison, but because they, they happened in two completely different ways. But Knoxville and Bentonville are kind of on the same level in terms of what, what you can really get from a ride-to-ride perspective. Yeah. And I make the same comparison as well. And I add the caveat that uh, Knoxville is the more authentic way of going about it. You know, it's, it's totally grassroots. <laughs> you know, there's not, a, there's not a billionaire, at least I'm not aware of a billionaire hanging out around here that's and, and willing to make a foundation to, to dump a bunch of money into trail. This was done by the bootstraps of the people that live here and, and making it happen with whatever means they could figure out. And even folks at Bentonville will tell you that, you know, this isn't, this is a model, but it's not really the most obtainable model. And an obtainable model is, is really what Knoxville's done. 100%. We have a lot of communities that are doing the same thing, but uh, as far as what's available right now, Knoxville is it. Yeah, one of my honestly one of my favorite interviews I've done, and out of the 140 or so interviews so far in this podcast, has been with Brian Hahn. Yeah, I mean, the, first the guy's got a sense of humor. Yeah, you know the way he talks about 
doing what they did. I mean, they stopped a highway project. That's a pretty large feat. Yeah. You know, they, they dropped a bridge over a highway that just getting that coordinated as a, as a large feat. Yeah. You know, they, they were able to get builders out of the Northeast, out of Vermont to kind of put their flavor on things down in the Southeast, you know? And so the way in just the, like you said, the bootstrapping side of like how they've pulled off, what they've pulled off is just incredible. Yeah. 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 And Brian's another one of those guys that I just look to as, as a great influence about what can be done. And he's funny. Like he is funny. (laughs) He's like, he is his own person, I guess the best way to put it. But like for the longest time, I just, I didn't know what Brian thought about me. And, you know, I got the associate director job and I saw him and he was like, you know, I'm really happy that you got that job. I was really pulling for you. And I just like, I came out of that with my mind blown. I was like, man, I wasn't really sure if Brian even liked me, but <laughs> here we are like pulling for me to get the job. And man, like now that I'm here, he's calling me all the time. We're going on rides and like, just such a good dude. He's fun to ride with too. He's super fun to ride with. Dude, he's, he's a ripper. Like that guy can ride a bike. Oh yeah. Yeah. When I, t- I did two rides while I was down there with him, I did one, you know, kind of out of his, out of his front yard or backyard or whatever, side yard, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Actually it was from Kellogg's, but it went through his place too. Um, and then I was able to take a trip with him and Shaggy over to V hollow prior to V hollow opening and to get the kind of the V hollow experience before it even opened was, was pretty impressive. Especially yeah, with those I did two. the same with, I did it with Kellogg and Shaggy. Uh, went over to V Hollow before it opened, so I, I got a similar experience. And that place is that place is sweet too. Yeah, yeah. And Shaggy's building in Japan right now as we record yeah. this. This is uh, this is Shaggy's house. So the house I'm in right now is Shaggy's house. That's awesome. I, I'm staying here while he's in Japan. Yeah, that's awesome. He uh, he came up and built uh, not too far away from my place last summer in a place called Viroqua, Wisconsin. He was up for. I think he's probably, he probably spent two, two and a half months up here last summer, late summer into early fall. Nice. He's another one of those awesome trail builders and good riders and just a, a fun person to have a drink with afterwards as well. Yeah. The, the type of trail that he builds, he has a different vision than a lot of people. And I compare trail builders to artists because they really are. It's, it's an interpretation of the landscape. Not so much. I mean, there's technical aspects to it, but there's also technical aspects to any sort of art form. But really, it's how they interpret the land as they see it. And his is, it's really unique. It's different. You know, he's got uh, Third Circuit down the street from here, which is a trail that he built. And it's unlike a lot of trail that, that you ride. And, and some of the things that he found is emphasis points. I don't think a lot of trail builders would have looked at. And even tails over in... Uh, Oak Mountain, which is a recent trail that he built with Barry Smith and the the bump crew down there. That trail is, it's really cool uh, and totally different. Like it's got this kind of jump line vibe to it, but it's also really tight and it's got some technical aspects to it. So it has a lot of flavor built into, I don't know, maybe a mile and a half of trail. Yeah. His, his perspective is really, really cool. I mean, I've tried to push through the, through the podcast is one of the things I've tried to push, I should say, is, you know, if you're looking at re reimagining a system or starting with a new system, go with multiple builders. Yeah. Because you're going to get multiple flavors and you're going to get circling back to the beginning of this conversation. You're going to get that diversity. Yeah. 
Yeah. And people like Chris Kmeyer, who does, uh, he does more of the project management side of things. You know, V Hollow, like what we were talking about, that was one of his projects. And bringing in a number of different builders to build different lines, that's hugely important because you don't want your trail system to all be the same flavor. Like Baskin Robbins is there for a reason. People like to have different flavors. If you want to just have chocolate or vanilla, you know, it is whatever. But some people like Rocky Road. Some people like, you know, mint chocolate chip. Like, provide those opportunities. Yeah. And I, I want to say they had at least six companies come in and build V-Hollow. That's, I think that's about right. Yeah. You know, and that, that's a perfect example of a canvas that was blank and two kind of different mountains or zones, one on each side of the valley in between that are two totally different experiences. Yeah. And frankly, a really small footprint, like the total acreage that they used was not big. Yeah. Speaking of the Smokies, and I don't know if you've been able to go there yet, but since you're up in that area... Have you been able to get over to, to Gatlinburg now that they've got a trail over at Ober Mountain? I have Ober not. Gatlinburg? I want to try to get out there in the next couple of weeks. Brian and some of the other folks went, gosh, right the weekend that it opened. Um, I had some bike maintenance issues. A few spokes were missing out of my full suspension bike and felt like it wasn't really the best thing to try to ride a bike with less spokes at a bike park. But yeah, like I want to get over there and check it out. Like it's a, it's a lift serve mountain bike park in East Tennessee. Who would have thought about that? Well, I couldn't, you know, so I had an aunt, a great aunt that lived in Sevierville slash Pigeon Forge for many, many years. She retired there and ended up, you know, she lived there, well, until she passed away in her nineties. Right. And I remember visiting her in the, in the mid nineties, probably right about when I was getting into mountain biking and then revisiting her 2016, I want to say late 2016. And I thought both times I thought to myself more the second time, how is there not mountain biking here? Cause they have like everything. It's, it's insane what they have for stuff in that community. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so it's good to see that, that they are able to start, you know, opening that up. And I think even outside of there, there's, it sounds like the Fort US Forest Service or Park Service, I'm sorry, is starting to look at mountain biking in, in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, Where's Valley, they have approval for a uh, mountain bike trail in Smoky Mountain National Park, which is, that's a huge deal. We've played a small role in that just as like an advisory role about how the project works. Yeah, and if, if you talk about in the region too, there's, there's a ton of projects that are you know, on the board, Pisgaria Sorba is doing a butter gap reroute. That's, that's a huge move. Um, all the new trail that's being built over in old fort, like Bernard mountain just opened last weekend, which is a brand new trail in us forest land, which is, you know, it, that's hard to do over in Hartford, Tennessee, over in the Cherokee national forest, there's a proposed uh, trail project that's going on over there. And, and yeah, mountain biking in, in this region in particular inside Sorba is just huge. Lots of expansion, lots of potential growth in trail networks. Yeah, for sure. And I know I've talked to that about the Cherokee stuff with Kellogg briefly and also Brian and I think Kay Meyer is working on that. And it sounds like it's just going to be an incredible project when that thing launches. Yeah. We got to develop volunteers and, and, and people to be out there to, to help maintain those trails. That's the, that's the biggest sticking point with those is because there really isn't a community that's there. And they're talking about adding a significant number of trail mileage there without really having a, a strong community of, of people to help take care of those, the trails that'll be on the ground. And 
that's a that's a that's a sober problem. Like we've we've got to help develop that community over there and and make sure that that's uh, going to be a viable project. I think it's awesome that you recognize that. You know that it's it's not like oh that's great there's gonna be, there's gonna be trails over there. Hopefully they work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and from the get go, because we've been a part of the, you know, the advisory meetings and stakeholder meetings with it. And we're talking about like having a maintenance budget for those trails and, and making sure that they're aware that, yeah, we can put in this trail network, but they've got to be maintained and they got to be maintained well to to have the traffic that you're you're wanting to bring into the area. Yeah. It's so vitally important. I mean, everything in this world needs some level of maintenance. I don't care if it's a granite building. Yeah. Yeah. You got to pressure wash it every now and again. For sure. For sure. Well, before we wrap this thing up, do you have any thank yous or anything, any closing comments or words of wisdom that you want to leave the listeners with? Yeah. I mean, big thank you goes to the current Sorba board and previous staff. You know, I've learned so much from both Tom and Terry and they, they still make themselves available. Like I talked to the phone on the phone with Terry this morning. Um, just going over a few things, but, you know, having that group of people available and willing to, to work through and having our board be as active as in, and engaged as they are right now is, is huge to help make my job a little bit easier. And also goes out to every one of our chapters. Our chapters are, are killing it. And, you know, I could spend an hour just talking about highlights from across the region. But I couldn't be happier and prouder of, of the work that our chapters do and the communities they develop. It's, it's a great place to be in. I came into the job at a great state, and I hope to make it better. But yeah, that's just thanks for everybody that helps. Yeah. Do you know any of the details for your fall summit yet? Uh, yeah. So it's going to be in Anniston, Alabama. It's going to be part of their Coldwater Mountain Fat Tire Festival. And we're going to really focus on just chapter leadership with that one. So it's, it's not going to be geared more towards public engagement. We're going to um, set up sp- specific opportunities for chapters to engage with uh, people within their state and, you know, work on that collaboration. That was another big thing in our um, strategic planning is to improve the collaboration between chapters and the state and throughout the region. And we're going to use that fall meeting to, to, to start that out and to continue working on that collaborative engagement between chapters. Well, Philip, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day so we can get this yeah. one recorded. And, and thank you very much for coming on the show. Ah, thank you. I know you've been super busy, so I appreciate you having me on and, and giving me the opportunity to talk about Sorba. Oh, for sure. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to the Trail Effect Podcast on Apple or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect Podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Cooley Creative at www.dojustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect Podcast, check out the Affiliate Links tab at the Trail Effect website, where you'll find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Cyclery, and Trail One Components. By using the affiliate links found at www.traileffectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which will help keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening. <laughs> <laughs>